Welcome to another edition of the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. Each week, we deliver an easy way for you and your family to dive deeper into the scriptures and help you in your daily Bible study. The Word of God is a study plan laid out in the Book of Common Prayer called the Daily Lectionary, which has been used by the Episcopal Church for hundreds of years. This program is for anyone who desires to build a better relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, hit that like and share button. It's the easiest evangelism you will ever do. To help you follow along, there is a complete list of the scriptures that we'll be looking at today in the description of this post. This week, we're looking at proper 18, and we're looking at three separate texts. We're looking at 1 Kings, the book of Philippians, and the book of Mark and Matthew. And what happens in Mark is we finish with the death and resurrection of Christ, and then we need to start a new gospel reading, and that will be the gospel of Matthew. In Philippians, this is Paul's letter. Last week, we looked at James's letter, and this week, we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1 through the middle of chapter 4. And we have been following the history books for some time now, and now we continue our study of the history books in 1 Kings. Now, if you will remember, in our history study, we have a new king called Saul. We have a second king called David and a third king called Solomon. Now, Solomon had some significant problems with the Lord at the end of his reign. And he had a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam took over for Solomon. And so we see the death of Solomon at the end of chapter 11 of 1 Kings, and you'll see your first reading for this week is 1 Kings 12, 21 to 33. And we have a series of events where Rehoboam did not work with Jeroboam and made him very upset. Go back to verse 7 of chapter 12. If today you will be servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. This is where the king Rehoboam, Solomon's son, would be willing to work with Jeroboam and his people. But Rehoboam, as I said last week, did not want to work with Jeroboam. Look at verse 15 of chapter 12. The king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord. Fulfill the word of the Lord as spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. And so Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them. Israel being the northern kingdom and Judah being the southern kingdom. That's very important as you're reading this. Israel is called the northern kingdom and that's comprised of ten tribes. The southern kingdom is comprised of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Now remember there's 12 tribes. And the book of Judges is about the division of the 12 
and how they would manage it. Joshua is a study before Judges where Joshua goes into the land, part of Moses' group, and defeats the enemies and drives them out so that the Israelites can live in those properties. Then Judges comes next, where they divide the land amongst the 12 brothers. All right. Well, if you look at chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, you'll see that Jeroboam fortified Shechem in verse 25 in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went up and built up Peniel. And he offered sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. That's what the southern kingdom was doing. Remember, Jeroboam is in the northern kingdom, or Israel. And after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. That was not very smart. So in the southern kingdom, they were offering sacrifices to the Lord because they had the temple. Remember, Solomon built the temple for the Lord. And in the northern kingdom, they didn't have a temple. So he went up to Bethel in verse 29 and in Dan, and this um, idol that he built, which is very offensive to the Lord, and in their worship, caused immediate problems. Now, what you're going to find out as you read the book of Kings is that most of the kings in both groups, the north and the south, were not good people, not good kings, did not follow the Lord. In fact, as you'll hear me probably say repeatedly, Every king in the north was disobedient to the Lord. And just about every king in the south was good except two or three. So these people did not follow the Lord. And what happened was, to advance forward, is that the northern kingdom was sent into captivity in 721 by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians in 587 BC. So both kingdoms crumbled because their leadership was poor, because the leaders did not listen to the Lord. So as you're reading First and Second Kings, you want to keep that in mind. This week, we've got First Kings 12 to First Kings 19.8. We want to keep in mind that they're not doing what God says. And what I do as I'm listening to this and reading these, this information, these texts, is Am I pleasing the Lord? Am I doing what God says? Am I following the Lord? Am I following his decrees? Am I following his will? Or am I disobeying him? Am I doing what I want to do? Kings is a wonderful paradigm for the human condition. And when we do what the Lord tells us to do, there is blessing. And when we don't do what the Lord tells us to do, there is not blessing. In biblical terms, that's called cursing. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 16 and what he's doing in chapter 13 and 14 and 15. He's talking about the different kings, the kings of Judah, and we'll talk about the kings of Israel. At the end of chapter 15, we've got Basha, the king of Israel, and then we've got Elah, the king of Israel, in chapter 16. And... Look at 16, and we've got Zimri, king of Israel. And then we've got Omni, king of Israel. And if you read these, you will see that there's a prescription for them. There's a formula. 
this was the person's father, this was the person's mother, this is how they reigned, this is what they did in their reign, this is how they blessed the Lord or they did not bless the Lord, this is how they offered up sacrifices, etc. Now, continue to read that. And then there's the very infamous at the end of 16, Ahab becomes king of Israel and he marries Jezebel. I'm sure you've heard of Jezebel. And she is quite a character to say the least. Now, when we get to chapter 17, we've got into a fascinating study of two, the beginning of two prophets that were extraordinary people. One of them was Elijah, which you probably have heard of, and the other one was Elisha, a J versus an SH. So Elijah is fed by the ravens. So what we're going to see with Elijah, and we'll see with Elisha, is miraculous events. I love reading Elisha and Elisha. They are not written prophets. They are called oral prophets. And we see in chapter 17, the widow at Zarephath, very famous. The widow at Zarephath's boy dies. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Don't have the time to do it. But, but read this, it's a beautiful lesson. And he stretches out himself in verse 21 on the boy three times and cries out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah, by the power of God, raised this child from the dead. And we will see that, of course, Jesus does that later. I love verse 24. The woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God and the word of the Lord has, from your mouth is the truth. She didn't totally believe that before, but when she saw that miracle, she saw that he was a godly person. Now we have Elijah in chapter 18, the very, very, very famous chapter, Elijah on Mount Carmel and his tete-a-tete with the Baal worship. Baal worship. So Obadiah went out to meet Ahab in verse 16 and told him, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at the Jezebel's table. So word went around, and I love verse 21. It, Elijah went before all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So we have this beautiful standoff, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens. You read that for yourself in the readings, but it's a very powerful demonstration of Yahweh's presence and power and of course the Baals can't do anything but as we see in chapter 19 through verse 8 the end of the week Jezebel comes after Elijah by what he did and Jezebel in verse 2 of 19 sends a messenger to Elijah may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I have not made your life like one of them he's going to kill him Elijah was afraid and ran for his life so he travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Horeb, the mountain of God. He goes into a cave and he spends the night. And we'll see what happens next week. So 
We have the division of the kingdom, north and south. We have different kings reigning. We have pericopes, short paragraphs that share what kind of things that they were doing. Mostly not good. And then we have, beginning in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, the great Elijah and the beginning of the stories of the work of God in Elijah's life. Please enjoy. This week we're looking at Philippians, four chapters in the book of Philippians in a section after Galatians, Ephesians, and then you have Philippians. And it's a beautiful book, and I want to point out, again, several verses to you. And what you're trying to do in your lectionary reading and your daily Bible reading, you're reading for content, you're reading for comfort, you're reading for edification, you're reading for knowledge, you're reading for wisdom. What does God want me to do? How can I know God better? Knowledge. You're um, developing and maturing your relationship with Christ. You're certainly nurturing yourself and building yourself up in Christ. And so in Philippians chapter 1, we have this beautiful verse in verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God wants to do a great work in your life. Let him do it. God wants to do something powerful in your life. Let him do it. This is my prayer, he says in verse 9. Of course, this is my prayer for all of us that are listening. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Glory and praise of God. That is a beautiful prayer. So as you're reading through Philippians, you want to grab hold of these beautiful lines. I love, uh, for example, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now remember, we have eternal life in Christ so that when we pass from this life to the next, we are still living. Now our body is dead, our body has passed away, but we're going to get a glorious and new body in heaven. So our relationship with Christ is eternal. It does not stop, it does not end in death. It continues on. And that's why you can have eternal life in this lifetime. I love verse 27 of chapter one. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It matters what you do, it matters the way you live, it matters what you believe, it matters the way you act. He continues on in chapter two with Christ's humility and this beautiful expose of Christ from Verses 5 through 11 shows how great Christ is. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he tells us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, verse 12 of chapter 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So God calls us to work and God calls us to act according to his will. But remember, he is the one that's doing the work inside of us. He is doing the work of ministry inside of us. Chapter 2 is beautiful and very, very powerful. So Paul is writing to the Philippians. There's a lot of theology in Philippians. There is wonderful ethics in in Philippians. He's also telling them on a kind of a practical day-to-day level what he needs and what his advice is and, and what his thoughts are. So it's a very human document. We've got, again, some beautiful theology. 
I love chapter 3 in the middle. Verse 7, whoever, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, he'd given it all up. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that is of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul deemed his life to be of little value as compared to having a life in Christ which has eternal and limitless value. So what's your perspective? As you think about your relationship with Christ and you look at chapter 3 particularly, it's a very, very uh, wonderful document and talks about where he is in terms of Christ. I press on, verse 14, to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of these things. Now in the fourth chapter, we look at the great joy chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. I say it again, rejoice. And then he asks us in verse 8 to think about things that are true and lovely and noble and right and pure and admirable. If there's anything about any of these things that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So it matters what we think about. It matters on what we dwell about. It matters where we focus our thoughts, where we focus our attention, where we focus our time. There are so many quotable lines in the book of Philippians. I hope that you will enjoy reading through verse 7 this coming week. Again, enjoy the scriptures. Listen to what God is saying to you. So now let's look at the book of Mark. Now remember, we left off with the crucifixion of Jesus. So we are in Mark 15. Mark has 16 chapters. The 16th chapter is concerns or is about Jesus' resurrection. But first he has to die. So Mark 15, verses 33 through 39, Jesus dies. He's crucified. And they see him dead. Some women were watching from the distance, verse 40. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joses and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So it was time to bury Jesus. Now they had to do this quickly because it was the Sabbath. So they took his body down and Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. This is verse 43. Pilate found out that Jesus, in fact, had died, and he gave the body to Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. He rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb, and the ladies saw where he was laid. So, Jesus died. They made sure he was dead. They took the body, wrapped it in a linen. They did not have time to pr properly prepare for it. That's why, on, as chapter 16 opens, they went to bring spices and anoint his body. They didn't have time to do that because it was the Sabbath. So, 
Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body. He put him in a new grave, placed him there, and they put a stone against the tomb. And they actually put a Roman guard out there, make sure nobody would steal the body because they were concerned about that. That's the end of Matthew, Matthew 27. So when they got there in the morning, what we call Easter morning, very early in the morning, they asked, who's going to roll the stone away? And the stone had been rolled away. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. He's, he's not here. He has risen. See the place where they laid him. They were trembling, bewildered. They fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This was astounding news. Now remember Jesus had told them that after three days I would rise again. They remembered those words, but they, I guess it, they never compute. I mean, who has ever been risen from the dead and never died? The ending of Mark is very interesting and very academic. The very good manuscripts that we have do not include verses 9 to 20. So some Bibles do not include verses 9 to 20, and some include 9 to 20. Those that don't, of course, only have 16, 1 through 8. So therein ends Mark with the resurrection of Jesus and the ladies, the women fleeing from the tomb. And as we will see in Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew and Luke and John, of course, um, there's a wonderful endings and more information about Jesus' resurrection. Now we begin another chapter in Jesus' life by looking at Matthew chapter Two, Matthew chapter 1, we see a genealogy going all the way back to Abraham, and we see the birth of Jesus Christ in verses 18 through 25. But the lectionary begins with chapter 2. And in chapter 2, you can quickly see you had the visit of the Magi, very famous story, where we celebrate Epiphany. They escaped to Egypt because the Lord was speaking to Joseph in dreams. And he was telling him what to do. And Herod was trying to kill Jesus. So they go to Egypt to escape it. And then when Herod dies, they return to Nazareth. Jesus is raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And in chapter 3, we fast forward 30 years. Where Jesus begins his ministry with the baptism of John. But at the beginning of chapter 3, Matthew tells us about John. And what kind of person he is. Quite extraordinary. Remember, John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus and is preparing the people for the coming of Jesus as was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is baptized by his cousin John and is then sent into the wilderness to deal with the devil. And we will pick up that story next time on the Word of God. So enjoy your reading this week in Kings, in Philippians, and in the end of Mark and the beginning of Matthew. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you next week.